podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. Jonathan Pierce. Eric has jumped in and seen a kung fu kick. A fan. Terry Alderton. Do you like shoes, madam? And friends. <laughs> JP. The mad of genius. And T. Good to meet you, love. The football friendly. Hello, everybody. Welcome to JP and T, the football friendly, the latest edition. As a special man coming up, he's written a special book, mm. which is very, very funny and very emotional and very sad. And and we'll talk about him in a minute. But first of all, Mr. Terry, where have you been? Uh, I've been uh, I've been laying in bed, haven't I? Re, 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 recuperating, getting myself be back. Not broken and my head not swimming from me falling uh, out of the. Uh, if you didn't join us last week, I fell off a hay bale. I thought I thought I was 16. My son and his friends, they ran up this hay bale. I got up really quick with them, and then I won the prize of coming down the fastest, which gave me a trip in an ambulance, uh, a broken vertebrae, a crushed tongue, and a lot of concussion. But I did get a trip in an ambulance. Brilliant fun, but I'm back, Jonathan. But I'm also, back. Do you know what it reminded me of? Go. When, when you sat there all bandaged up and you yeah. were in a corset thing and you had a chamois leather under your glasses. <laughs> Over my eye, yeah. It reminded yeah. me of what a brilliant visual comic you are. Because I'll tell you what, I finished the podcast and went off and cried myself silly with laughter. <laughs> Well, I haven't got the show me over my eye anymore because I can see straight now. And I'm a mu- look. You can see you can't see people listening, but I'm moving around. I'm physical fit, and uh, I'm and I'm actually doing some gigs this weekend. So he's back. He's back. Well, I did a gig. I well, gig. I did a game last night, which made me laugh and sort of cry at the same time. I did a playoff second leg for the Champions League, Braga against Panathinaikos, right? Mm-hmm. And you see these players full of their dreams and the fans of getting to the Champions League, and and Braga won it one nil on the night, three one on aggregate. If they get two points in the group stage, I would be very, very pleased. And that's the sweet, that's the bittersweet of Champions League. It's all about getting the 21 and a half million they'll, they'll get now. And, um, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a false rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a crock of gold at the end of, you know, for some of these teams, the crock of shit really, but there you are. Yeah. Anyway, I gave it the big end. Yeah, the other thing, the, the, before we bring on our fantastic guest, let, ask me, the, answer me this. You texted me the other day that you were doing a game and there was, certain, there was a certain Greek player and I said you should call him Malaka, which is the Greek word for it. Did you end up, explain to people what happened? No, but when you say that, just before the preamble, I did Arsenal against on, on, uh, Nicosia, Moni Nicosia, years ago, and they had a fullback called Malakos. And uh, throughout the game, I, I called him by mistake Malakas. 
and the, uh, the Greek, the Greek and the Greek Cypriot community of North London thought this was hilarious and phoned it in their droves, saying how funny it was that I called yeah. this player. I suggest it means that he wanker. pleasured himself. It yeah. means wanker, by the way, for yeah. everyone who doesn't know, in, so, in Greek. It was, but it's interesting. Those days, people laughed at it. Nowadays, oh, get him off the air. You know, he's done this. Yeah. Well, so, so look. Panathinaikos had a player whose name is spelled on the back of his shirt J U A N K A R, Spanish. Okay, and my son speaks Spanish fluently, so I said, "How you know? How do I pronounce his name?" And he said, "Well, it's pronounced uh, Wanka." I said, "I no, I can't. I can't do that in a commentary. I can't. I, I can't say that. his full name is Juan Carlos, but he doesn't Juan Carlos." You're not Catalan, it'd be Juan, because I thought he might be Catalan and get me out of trouble. No, 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 you've got to say this, you've got to say this. I said, no, I'm not doing it. So I called, like, him, his, I called him by his full name that he doesn't use, Juan Carlos, all the way through. But on the back of his shirt, I'm calling him Juan Carlos. He's turned around to the camera and you can see it in all its glory there. Juan so. Carlos Wanker, what a name. I tell you what, as well, you remember when Balak was played, it was brilliant when you'd hear Irish commentators saying that, and there goes Balak. <laughs> and Langer as well when Langer was playing golf because of course in, in Cork in, in Ireland uh, Langer is very much uh, wanker again and obviously penis head kind of thing so uh, look at him there goes Langer the, brilliant the other, anyway let's, let's get a guess just before we do another one when we, when there was uh, more, child, more when, childishness <laughs> when England won he's in Munich gonna, he thinks he's come on to a really when, when England he, he thinks he's coming on to, seriously <laughs> yeah. serious podcast when, um, when uh, England won in Munich remember that day mm. and, uh, I was working with Tony Girl for Capital Gold and we sat in the streets of uh, street cafes in Munich the day after what a glorious morning <coughs> they're all walking past you know as if the world's coming to them they can't quite mm. understand what's happened the previous night we, we just sat there with a self satisfied grin on each of our faces but they had a player called Karsten Yanka um, and so uh, you know for the next year we kept saying if anyone if anyone you know horrible miss we're going to oh, complete Karsten well, in yeah. the commentary and no one again no one complained at the time it was it was of the of the time yeah. of the time yeah anyway look, come on Let's bring in. Let's bring in our guest. Um, you might know him as uh, Count Binface, who stood for election for the London Mayor. Yeah. Uh, you might know him for um, the, the the radio dramas he does, the radio shows he does with Rob Newman. Um, but John Harvey is with us, and we know him for other reasons because he's got a brilliant book out mm -hmm. called "A Fan for All Seasons," which we'll go into in a moment. How are you doing, John? Very well, thanks. It's an absolute pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. It's mad. I didn't know. I never knew that you were a bin face. And we, 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 I'll let you look into listeners. I'll let you into think we had a chat just before we start recording. But I didn't know that. I didn't know you were the you were the mighty bin face. Long story. Here's the short version. Well, I grew up like you with you know screaming Lord Such. And do you remember that episode of Blackadder with the standing at the back dressed stupidly looking stupid? Yeah, party? of course. All that it. stuff. So for me, there was there was always some lunatic who did it. I didn't. I never expected it to be me. But what happened? <laughs> Me and my mate, we have a, a sideline in watching the, the worst films ever made. The ones that are you know, so bad, they're funny. And, yeah, um, I'm in one of those, by the way, John. Sorry to oh. bring myself into it. Yeah, it's yes, called. It, it's it's the worst film ever made, mate. It's called uh, it's called Flirting Club. The Flirting Club. It is the worst film ever made. Sorry to interject. <laughs> well, I, well I, need to, it, I need to see who else is my, in it. Nobody's. It's awful. I, I play hoping... a German in it. It's 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 painfully painfully painful. It's the worst film made. I think it gets one star wherever it goes. I mean, check it out. But carry on. Sorry, that, enough about me. Well, no, I mean that's exactly the kind of stuff I'm interested in. Like one I'm trying to track down. Apparently, Shane Ritchie made a, a gangster film called yes, Shoreditch. He did. 
Yeah, which I think he's made 150 quid. The he made. Up. He made. I know Shane very well. He it made the 10 o'clock news for the least ever pre oh, what sort of opening day box office amount of money. Yeah, oh. it made something like 900 pounds or something. Yeah, you're right. Can you get me a copy? Because I mean, honestly, uh, that would. That I'll would tell you what I'll day. do. I will. I will talk to Shane and I will see what I can do for you. I, that I, that honestly would be a dream. So, and so it's, it's this anyway. It's this kind of love of the obscure that led me and my my friend Tom to uh, we tracked down this film uh, in America. It was called Hyperspace, uh, and in Britain it was called Gremloids, which sounds like a kind of cream, right? <laughs> but it, but actually, it was a, a 1984 <laughs> Star Wars parody, right? And this, right. Have, you, have you seen Spaceballs? But this was like yeah, three years. But yeah, John Candy, brilliant, right? Mel Brooks, every, yeah. amazing film. But this was three years before that. So we're like, it's the first time anyone's ever tried to sort of take the mickey out of Star Wars. Let's let's track it down. So we've got a VHS of it. And it's, I mean, it's terrible. It's, the, the special effects are really ropey. It's 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 really dodgy. But the baddie in the film is this Lord Buckethead character. Wow. Darth Vader, but with a weird sort of cylinder. Although weirdly, he's not even called that in the film. He's just called the leader. They only refer to him as Buckethead in the credits. Anyway, that's kind of irrelevant. What, whenever I watch a film like this these days, you, what you do is you go online afterwards and you read a bit of trivia about the film and it said, did you know someone dressed up as Lord Buckethead and stood against Margaret Thatcher in the 1987 general election in Finchley? And I was like, no way. You go on YouTube and there he is, just sitting there next to Maggie, some bloke. And then it Brilliant. says, did you know someone also stood as Lord Buckethead against John Major in Huntingdon in 1992? And there he is. And do you know what it and it, what it all it was was the bloke who got the rights to this sort of crappy film, he to, the rights to sell it as a VHS. He was on the stage next to John Major, holding up the VHS, trying to flog it. That was it. <laughs> he didn't speak. He didn't have any policies. He, all he was trying to do was sell this movie. Anyway, and then it just disappeared. And me and my mate, this was 2016. We thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny to bring him back? You know, 25 years later, another Tory prime minister. Yeah. It was Theresa May. How many was that like 19 prime ministers ago now? Theresa May. And we're like, let's let's have it. But there was supposed to be an election until 2020 until, of course, she goes and calls that snap election. She didn't need to. And we thought, well, why not? And so we had a go for a laugh. I and I, I took, put, went under the bucket and um, and it went viral around the world. And, it, and we didn't tell a soul. It was a complete secret. I was just this rubbish Batman who had this secret that when you know, I ended up on John Oliver's show and went uh, on Glastonbury and all this stuff. And then what? the sort of sad bit is this American film producer who made the original film then decided to try and take ownership of everything I'd done and uh, threatened to sue me if I didn't let him have full control of the character. So, yeah, yeah, and this stuff hasn't really come out yet, but I thought, oh, well, okay, um, I'll relaunch, and hence Count Binface was born. Basically, the, mm -hmm. the most obvious alternative, Lord, yeah. Count, Bucket, Bin, Head, Face, yeah. boom, yeah. done. Right, right, and right. Uh, and Bin Face was born. And so I that's think we should all go out and put buckets on our head now and see if he can sue all of us. Come <laughs> well, on. I, I'm, well, I can literally say I'm the first person to kick the bucket and feel better for it. Ah, there it is. Good in, lad. In, in, Good your, lad. Uh, in your, well, what the book describes as a kaleidoscopic 12 months from London Olympia to ancient Olympia, from rugby balls to Rubik cubes, you mentioned Maggie Thatcher in there and Dennis and they come up we'll talk about the reasons for the Odyssey in a minute but they come up in a section about it's quite a sad section actually it's about the death um you call it the death of a competition or something the death of the BDO darts competition but there's one brilliant section in it we're talking about the owner of Lakeside and uh Bob Potter was it and it's that yeah, Peter Potter. Cake, Peter I remember Cake. Bob 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you talk, you, John, you tell the story and, and how Dennis Thatcher used to pop in there for a drink at Lakeside. Well, yeah. I mean, that was one of the, you know, hundreds of things that Bob sort of told me within, you know, sort of 45 minutes of monologue. So, what well, me and my friend Will, we'd always been fans of the BDO darts. I'm sure lots of your listeners were because it was the one on the BBC, you know, and mm. we didn't have Sky back then. So, you know, year after year, it was the original World Championships and, it, and Race where it, Bristow and John Lowe and Bill Taylor, they all made their name. Of course, they all hopped it to the PDC. And so you had this weird world for so many years where there were these two world championships and neither spoke about the other as if they didn't <laughs> exist. And I talk in the book, the only comparison I can think of is between when there was that WWF wrestling and WCW. And it was just there were these sort of two yeah. rival camps and you, you just couldn't, you had to support one or the other. And so we went to the BDO, but basically too late. It was you could tell that this championship was on its knees because the Ali Paddy one has gone from strength to strength, and and um, and so we were again. We, it was partly that spirit of that wonderful British naffness of going to the lakeside and seeing that. I mean, goodness me! I mean, you've played there, Terry, but the people. Yeah, I've got, I've the, got a photo of me on the wall I, in, well, the, in there. It's an awful I, one as well. I talk <laughs> about, about that. Eighteen. That's in the book. I call it the wall of fame, but fame's in inverted commas. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks. I'm on that yeah. wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and every single photo is this terrible shot. You think, my God, what are yeah. the ones that they didn't they discard? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's exactly the photo of me that's up. I'm about eighteen with some cheesy, terrible bow tie and all that. Yeah, it was all that old school, wasn't it? It was like the likes of well, I tell you, would be on there. Like the likes of Bradley will be on there. Walsh. Pasquale would be on there, like from the early days. And in fact, I remember Joe telling me that Potter was saying to him once, he was the reason that he started investing his money, believe it or not, because Joe was like, well, what do I do with my money? I'm earning all this money. And then Potter was one, well, put it into land and property. So anyway, there's a... There's well, this is it. He was this, he's this unusual um, entrepreneur. And so we were, we were sort of immersing ourselves in this sort of wonderful world of 80s nostalgia and celebrity. <laughs> and then what happens? He tap, he, he gets tap on the shoulder and it was Bob. And uh, the dance was going on behind us and he just wanted to chat. And he, yeah. he, and he would not stop chatting to me and my friend. We couldn't believe it. It was like being the Wizard of Oz and seeing... How like, old is he friend. now? Well, no, he's just passed away. That's the thing. He, oh, he, how um, old would he have been? I didn't know he I died, certainly. He, I think he was 88. He's only oh, just right, yeah. died. So while I was writing the book, he was still alive. And, and then he, he passed just before the book came out. And oh, um, right. uh, yeah, as, jo as JP says, he's he sad because I think he was a real bastion of that type of British celebrity. But And he, he wheeled out so many stories. Like he, he, so he says, Bradley Walsh, oh, he owes me a week here. And then he went off to SCP. <laughs> and, and then he says, yeah, old. And Dennis Thatcher used to come in. I wouldn't let Dennis drive past without coming in. Maggie would be off doing something and Dennis would come in for a drink. And and so he, he, this sort of strange chap rubbed shoulders with the, the great and the good of Britain for a while. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's We'll never see those times again. And there, it, there was a story of, of Bradley in there, actually, where, where he... Uh, I can't remember. We've we got to get him on, actually. We need to get Bradley on. But anyway, it's another story. But there is a story where Joe told me and Bradley told me this story where someone was doing Bradley's material before he went on and then he went on and, and ended up getting the drums and throwing the drums at this guy and it all going right off. That's where he got the name coined, the Axe Murderer. Joe goes, oh, he calls him the Axe Murderer. <laughs> oh, the Axe Murderer's coming. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have to get Bradley on and tell the story. But, yes, it is... It, it's it's a worth it's what is it still open, John? Is it? Is it still well, the funny thing, So the lakeside's still going. And then, so I was telling the story as, about the fact that basically a year after I went, they, they tried to move the tournament to the uh, O2, although not the proper O2, like the little 
sort of indigo to just indigo, to, yeah. of it, to try and you know i know resuscitate a bit like putting the defibrillator on the tournament <laughs> it didn't work so like yeah only 15 percent of the tickets got sold and obviously they they'd um alienated all the lakeside fans and apparently they're they're relaunching it as the wdf and they're trying it sounds like something you'd use to repair you know <laughs> some, yeah. uh, something in your shed yeah exactly yeah. But it's coming team. back and um, uh, they're going to do a new world championships either end of this year or beginning of next year. But to be honest, I've, it does feel like the, the boat has sailed a bit and um, you know, it's basically going to be, it's, I, I think it's like the FA trophy of darts now, isn't it? You know, like FA bars <clears throat> where the non-leaguers are going to the amateurs get their chance. That's basically what it is. Cause the, the pros have all, um, they've all jumped to sky. The, 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 the journey you went on is full of those little one liners like you've just done there. Um, but it is it's it's tinged with sadness, John, isn't it? That and because well, you again, you tell the story. Where did it all start? Because you're a Tottenham fan. Your brother Daniel was a Crystal Palace fan, and 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 it starts with terrible sadness, really. Yeah. So the the reason I wrote the book is um, uh, my brother Dan. He was the yeah biggest Palace fan you could ever hope to meet, uh, and biggest sports fan you could ever meet. Um, <coughs> he. He very sadly passed away in 2015, completely unexpectedly. Um, you know, he, he, he wasn't exactly well. <laughs> he was overweight and uh, didn't look after himself. You know, like thousands of football fans, we all know, you know, and uh, but um, was living his normal. Well, yeah. <laughs> We're both <laughs> pointed. Me, pointed. Jonathan and I at this point. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I've come unplugged. Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, yeah. Jonathan and I at that point are both <laughs> pointing at each other. Well, yeah, and me too, you know. But we, 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 most of us are carrying a bit. But Dan, yeah, he, he had so much undiagnosed. You know, like he, he had diabetes and probably like some neurodiversity. Anyway, and he he passed away sort of shockingly, and I found him one day, in, oh in this is the summer 2015. And um, and a part of it, because sport was the biggest thing of him, when we, ha- we held his wake at Palace, and it was like, what do you do next? And I inherited his Crystal Palace season ticket even though I'm a Spurs fan. So, you know, the, for a lot of people, would be like, that's a fate worse than death, right? But uh, I, that's what I did. I went to watch his team for a whole season. I was his eyes and ears at Sellers. And he'd taken me there for year year after year when I was a kid. It was our local ground. And I sort of talk in the book, I was thinking about it just this morning before coming on the pod and thinking just how those little grounds have really grown you over the years. Like mm. when I was a kid, Sellers Park was sort of a bit of a joke. Because it, it didn't look like all the big grounds that you see on the telly, you know, your Anfields and your Old Traffords and obviously Wembley. But so many grounds now have been knocked down and replaced by, you know, the sort of identikit bowls on the ring road outside town. That um, I mean, I've, I've just drove past the Amex the other day. It's beautiful in its own way. But, you know, it's almost like they've just been planted there, you know, and uh, they all look the same. Whereas Sellers Park is this survivor. And it's there, right in the middle of the streets. And you guys will know plenty more grounds around the country well, like that. You know, South End must be like that. I'm correct. Assuming. And, right, and Bre- Brentford used to be like that. Sadly, not anymore. You know, like you say, yeah. just bang in the middle of a load of houses. Yeah. That's yeah. right. And so, I, to, at the end of the season, I can tell you, if I get the last Everton game at Goodison Park, I should cry when I'm there. Uh, very probably on air because it, uh, <clears throat> you know, resonance goes back to 1966 in the World Cup. And uh, it will be the last of the great old-fashioned grounds mm. to go. So, but wh- why did you? I know then that the journey sort of started after he died, and you, you went to the palace, and then you went with his co-workers to racing, didn't you? Is that is that where it's the sort of idea came to do this odyssey? Why did you do it? 
so yeah what happened was because he was into everything the, the very first thing that happened was that it just so happened that his work colleagues used to go on a an annual trip to the races he was a huge racing fan you know especially the grand national but you know anything he absolutely would love it he'd be pouring over the racing post weeks in advance and so that was the first thing i went to after he died and and that sort of i guess planted the seed that you know sport actually was that thing that we still had in common and and then it, it, it happened gradually because then the, you know, the palace season happened and that was way more emotional than I thought it was going to be because it ended up, this was the 15-16 season, which you guys will remember, that ended up with Palace in the cup final mm-hmm. and they played Man United. And it, for us, it was this weird ring composition because that, that was exactly the same game that had happened in 1990, which was Dan's first year as a season ticket holder. We had that amazing wow. final, the three-three game, yeah, yeah. which was basically for us like off that 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 cup run with the, them beating Liverpool in the semis, and and then that that big final against United. That kind of sort of put rocket boosters on our love of football. It was just before Italian ninety, and a couple of years before the Premier League. It felt like it, it, I I really experienced the magic of football through that, and so it was so weird for the first year that Dan to not be around for them to be back at Wembley and facing United. And if you remember, what happened was they very nearly won it again. And somehow contrived a way to lose against ten men. And the most famous thing about the game is Alan Pardew's dancing. I mean, that is just so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's that's what people remember. Yeah. Um, so it, it was after that I, I was sort of stuck thinking, what do I do? Do I keep this ticket up? Because he'd had that seat at Sellers for you know over a quarter of a century, and Dan was such a sort of completist that the idea of giving that up just felt so wrong. And yet, you know, I'm a Spurs fan because we we always had to have like our rival teams. It was. I know lots of brothers and lots of dads and sons, they have to support the same team, but that was never a question for us. We always just love to have that, that game element to sport. So we always, so it meant that we could go and watch Spurs and Palace every year and have a laugh. You know, that was, that was part of it. And, um, and so I thought, well, how can I look after his memory in another way? And I, we, I, I went on a holiday to ancient Greece. Well, didn't go back in time, but back to sort of Olympia, <laughs> you know, where the original Olympics were held. Cause I'd never been to, to those sorts of places and i couldn't afford to go to rio where the proper olympics was i thought i'll get myself a little fix by having a history trip and then it's just sort of sort of struck me this idea that maybe i could go and see lots of the different things that he loved and try and cram in as many as i could in a season and that might be a way to build like a different kind of season ticket and so it just built sort of organically from there and i had no idea at that point what was even in the calendar for that year i just thought i'll just say yes to everything so before i knew it I was at the Stoop watching Harlequins. I went to Wembley to watch the NFL. I mean, that's weird when you're watching a home game for the Cincinnati Bengals at Wembley, but <laughs> there you are. And then you had the darts, like uh, JP has said. I even went to the World Rubik's Cube Championships in Paris, mm. which is a thing. <laughs> I just said yes to everything. And it was it was an incredible journey. And obviously, it's very sad as well, but I just felt if I could just keep his fire burning, that would be a way to sort of cope with grief. And it, and I, that's what I'm still doing now. So, um, you know, the, it, it has, how, it, you can't solve grief. No one can, but you know, no. by the fact that I'm talking to you guys now is part of the sort of celebration of his memory. Cause I'm, I can say without any exaggeration, he was a huge fan of Mr. Pierce, a oh. massive fan. We were early adopters, JP capital gold sport back in the day. You, you were the soundtrack of our childhood. I'm not kidding. All of us, all of us, yeah. not just you, John. Not so much childhood, though. Not for me. I'm a bit that's, older. That's, that's, yeah. that, that's very kind. 
in in you you come up with um it's a lovely book honestly um we don't really do books on the podcast john but we thought we would because it's so lovely in the writing i i really i really liked it and there's there's a lovely line in it where you say grief is like quicksand in the head it just draws keep sucking you back in mm. and, and you do get that feeling throughout the book each of you know he's with you he's he's with you dan's with you on the journey did it did it so was it cathartic? Was it? Did it ease the grief, or, or and or also was it there when you go to the game still because you're back going to Tottenham? Let, let me add on that on that question as well for Kanjon. I'll just piggyback on that. Um, a lot of people when they when they lose people they start seeing dragonflies and robins and such like. You know, uh, do you on Jonathan's question? Do you, have you been to a game and gone? That's not. That's weird. That's weird. He's got to be here somewhere. That's a bit strange. Yeah. Or yes to all of that. I mean, as far as yeah, to, about the how do I cope? It has been cathartic, JP. That is that's definitely true. That because sport is like nothing else, and I think in the in the last few years I've realised that more than ever. I've always loved sport, but I, I've actually come to think of it as one of the most incredible inventions we've come up with as a species. Mm. Because if you think mm. about it, it's it's drama but without a script. It's war mm. but without death. It's mm. something which millions, no, I'd say billions of people on the planet pour their souls into like nothing else. You know what it's like when the World Cup's on or the Olympics on. It's like the world stops. Mm. And, I, and I know there are obviously loads of people out there who don't give a toss about sport, and that is a completely valid opinion as well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but I, I love what Stephen Fry says. He says, yeah, sport is unimportant, but it's the most important, unimportant thing in the world. <laughs> Very good. And you know those feelings, like when, it, like it's when you're at Lords and you watch a, a, an important wicket fall, or you know you you see a goal going, or an important penalty, or, or a miss. You know, last night Sanchez missing one for Spurs. Just in that moment, mm. it is like grief or like your know, ultimate celebration because we throw ourselves into it so much. And so, I don't. I think if if Dan's passion had been something else, like I don't know the theatre or something else. I don't think I could have done what I'd done with the same level of, you know, uh, of, of retaining his joy. I do think there's something unique about sport and that has helped because it is, I, I, I'm so glad you picked up on that quote, uh, JP, about grief being quicksand in the head. Cause I think that is what sums it up for me that this, it's, it, it, you never get, it, it could happen today. You know, there could just be a moment where, you know, the, the sadness just is becomes almost overwhelming. And yeah, last night was a big one, you know, what, what, who, who were the big two games in the Carabao Cup? You've got Palace playing Plymouth on Five Live. You've got Spurs playing Fulham on Sports Extra. Our teams, and they're both losing, and they're both making a complete pig's ear of it. It, just, it feels like it's being written for us. And, of course, what happens last night? Palace climbed their way out of it. Spurs um, yeah, on your bike, as usual. So he, mm. I could almost hear him laughing. And, then, I mean, as you say, Terry, like you, little moments pop up where you go, I can't. That can't yeah. be anything other than him. It, one happened when, uh, so I, I, I took his seat at Selhurst, and weirdly, he'd actually moved his seat for the next season because he'd, he'd had a disagreement with another fan um, who he'd been getting into the ground. And um, so Dan decided to sit in a different bit of the ground, he, and he was right in the corner of the Homesdale where the tunnel is, mm-hmm. uh, about sort of 10 rows up. And one time, I mean, it's like a couple of games in, they have this um, eagle at Palace. Uh, a real one. That's that, right. yeah, they got yeah. they've got Pete the Eagle who waddles around in the furry suit, but they've got a real one. Now, I don't know if it's still, but then it was called Kayla. And, gone now. Uh, gone now. Oh, is Kayla gone? Well, yeah. well, I'm not surprised. Kayla got punched by a Charlton fan, so she was what? a survivor. Yeah. What? Yeah. In I actually did an eagle. They do that. <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. That's football fans for you. But yeah, it's, but so she she been through a bit, and then one one day she just came and uh, she just uh, flew past the um, the goalposts and came and sat next to me. Oh. I just and I had this and birds had these fascinating eyes. They're so alien yeah. to us as humans. Yeah. And, and she was just looking at me, and and obviously I was just just for a second I was like come on what's going on here? and then <laughs> then as soon as you think it it's gone away and then she, she was off as well but there, and there was another one at Twickenham when I I went, I'd just been to watch um, England France and England just scraping a victory in the Six Nations and I was walking home because trying to get home on the train is a nightmare from Twickenham like so many grounds and I was walking over a sort of Richmond Bridge and around there there's this sort of um, almost like marshland and um, out of the gloom out of the dark this sort of heron started walking towards me and I was like and herons are like they don't want to be near humans they they're they're they're, they're not tame but he just started walking and he just started stopped there and just started clocking me and i was clocking him and then out of nowhere three more turned up it was this family of herons just looking at me i thought this is so weird and again for a minute you're like oh come on this is this something this doesn't feel real but then you know next minute they're off yeah they're off hunting fish again but it's, let's it's, do a really bad pun there should we you're being cool. stalked yeah we're gonna yeah, say yeah, that yeah, we go. gotta say the gang i'm only <laughs> bringing that in because we've got to take a break unfortunately but um you you and your avian stories will continue i'm sure <laughs> we'll take a break jp and t the football friendly JP and T, we're talking to John Harvey about his book, A Fan for All Seasons and Odyssey, um, in honour, in memory, uh, in love of his brother Daniel, who died. And in it, the, we, just before the break, we were talking about, you know, sort of magic of sport and the quirkiness of sport, and a lot of things come through uh, in the book, funny things that happen in sport. I mean, there's a great picture um, of when you were when you were at the golf, and, and you've got a picture of Rory McIlroy walking through waist-high <laughs> Um, grass, these bizarre things that happen in sport, bizarre things you see, John, that you must have counted in your uh, odyssey. It's just typical, I think, of, of sport that you can just remember just weird moments of any sport you've been to. And that's it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the McElroy one was weird. It was like being on a safari. If you've ever been to golf, I'd never been to golf before. And just wherever you look, there are these massive global superstars, which is, yeah, like say, <laughs> stuck in a hedge trying to find a ball. It's, it's weird. But, um, but I think maybe going to, I don't know if you guys find this, that you've been to probably a lot more top level sport than I have. And um, it, it humanizes it really, because you realize these people are just people. And mm. I think for me as a sports fan, I, I talk in the book, for me and Dan, we yeah, we didn't have much money growing up. So sport for us existed on the TV. You know, uh, it, the snooker it was just inside the TV. The idea of actually getting to the crucible and being one of those 900 odd people just seemed unfathomable and so to actually get to that and see dennis taylor was real not just a sort of computer sprite or something it was and his glasses it, yeah and his glasses and he even played a game what happened i went there and uh, a match finished early and um they thought oh we got we can't leave the fans short change so dennis came out and played an exhibition match against peter ebden it was, oh, wow. it was, and then he started doing trick shots and stuff. And he, oh, honestly, Dan would have been just doing cartwheels at the idea of seeing Dennis, you know, sort of reliving his black ball final glory and everything. So I think whatever your sport, I mean, going back to the tunnel at Palace at Salas Park, you know, every week I was seeing people like, you know, Wenger or Harry Kane or Aguero walking past. And we're used to seeing them as giant figures on screens or on buses and everything. And you realize through the magic of a season ticket, no, no, these are just normal people and this is their job 
Mm. It's an incredibly well paid job and an incredibly mm. glamorous one, but ultimately this, these are real people and they're fallible. And that's why there's this weird paradox because I'm like I'm sure I'm like you when you're watching your teams and and a player does something wrong, you know you go like oh no, or you know you you, know, you shouldn't have done it, pass it to him, or you realize that these are exceptional professional athletes and the last thing they need <laughs> is idiots like us telling them as if we've got now we're all going on about inverted spitting out your pie yeah yeah spitting out your pie and, and shouting about inverted fullbacks you know invert, invert. as if we know what's Box going it, on box it yeah. and, and and you realize that these um it, it, there is something slightly weird about us thinking that we're experts in a game well, which is so intricate. You know? let, let's ask the commentator when uh, the commentators say, you don't do it that often, Jonathan, to be fair, but you go, well, maybe you should have squared it there or maybe you should have, you know, what, what, is, the, what is the kind of the etiquette on that, Jonathan? Well, um, I, young commentators coming in and there's a couple uh, who work now on the BBC, I, I, you know, they, they asked me for any advice a few years ago and... Um, I, I told them get coaching badges. You know, do, do your coaching badges. Do your work. Go to clubs. Meet people at clubs. You know, all off the record. Talk to them. Get advice. You know, ask them what they're trying to do. Um, go to training grounds. Um, I'm not too sure whether they've done that. Um, certainly, one of them from listening to the commentary possibly hasn't. But um, anyway, th that that would be my. You know, I, I started my badges when I was 18, and and then went back to them later on in life, and coached for a decade. And um, um, you know, I, I played for a club in 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 the Midlands, and. Uh, we were very, very successful and we won things and got promoted a couple of times. And then at uh, 21, I think I was, I took over as player manager on the basis of these badges and we were relegated twice. And um, <laughs> it was a bit of a disaster. And uh, I had to do the washing. I had to wash the kit. And um, so consequently, every weekend we turned out in mouldy, dirty, <laughs> wet kit because I never washed it. But uh, there you are. So don't take what I say. Take it with a pinch of salt. Um one of the things that the other thing that I would say from my past, and, and we've all done this, blagged our way into different areas of sporting occasions, and you did at the Grand National, didn't you? And um, with your mum, you blagged yeah. into the wrong area. Yeah, but not uh, not deliberately. I've done I've done a bit of deliberate blagging in my time. When the best one for that was because um, I got this bug of trying to see sport. I carried on after the the time in the books. There's something I don't talk about. Was the the next year there was the World Chess Championship in London, right? And you'd think that'd be the most dull thing you could possibly go and see. But I had, I'd caught the bug so badly by that point that I thought I've got to go. And, but it was 500 quid to watch chess. I thought wow. I'm not doing that. So I just wow. wrote to, yeah, insane. Right. And it just goes on for day after day. Nothing happens. But I thought I'm not doing that. So I just wrote to them and said I was a journalist and uh, they went, of course, come in. And so I got this uh, executive seat just by, um, I got treated like royalty. It's brilliant. And I'd, I've never written a thing about chess in my entire life. I just well, look, you know, you're, 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 now, you're now on the world's most favourite favorite podcast talking about it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, come and clean. Yeah. So come and get me, guys. See, see, but he's, he's blagged, in on, blagged on this now. Exactly, tens, yeah. of, <laughs> tens of millions watch us and listen to us. Well, oh, tens, yeah. tens. Yeah. Yeah, Tens or millions, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the, <laughs> you got the wrong, the, you got the wrong side of the fence, the fence at entry. But uh, yeah, you? well, that, so that was fluky. What happened was, I went to the Grand National with Dan in 2011 because uh, he, he he was obsessed with entry and the whole race. He he fills my my fe my head is still full of weird Grand National trivia thanks to him. He, basically, I could probably tell you any winner certainly from my lifetime. I just it just all lodged in my brain, and so we had to go and we had a lovely time. 
But that time he managed to get us a, a, a spot underneath the winning post, and we thought nothing. We thought, oh great, it's quite cheap to stand here. Great, and and just had a great time. That was it. And so when when he died, I took my mum uh, to do the same thing in 2017. Mm. And so we went to the same bit of the same track and and thought this is no problem all the only difference was i needed the loo before the race and so i thought oh mum i'll be back in a minute nipped out and by the time i tried to get back all these barriers had been erected and the, the steward said um can i see your ticket please i said yeah sure i said you can't go in there i said well what do you mean i've just been in there my mum's they said no 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 you, you you've got the cheap seats you're over there mate and pointed miles away like down the track and i was like but we but we've been we've been watching the racing all day, and he said, "No, no, 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 not for the Grand National. You're not. No, this is, you have to pay top dollar for that." I said, "But she's, but my my mum said there's no, rec- and you know what? You know what weird thing like your phone reception goes when you're in huge crowds, especially at sports events. So I couldn't get hold of her. It's like she's speaking to me. She's really worried about me, and they they just thought I was completely on the black. I said, "Yeah, yeah, what? Well, go on, t- pull us another one because I imagine there's probably uh, not just in that part of the world, but let's just say there's some worldly wise race goers." who had probably been pulling that stunt all afternoon, right? And so she was like, no, 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 you're not coming in there. So um, I had to tell her the truth. I said, you know, I'm here because of my brother. And um, and I'm, we're, me and my mum are trying to remember his memory. And they went, well, all right. And they frog marched me back to the winning post to find my mum to make sure I wasn't pulling her leg. But luckily, mum was there and was like, and she, she thought, what? Well, she just saw me being a, basically accompanied by two security guards going, what on earth have you done? It's like, oh, I've just been to the loo, honestly. Nothing's wrong. But they, yeah, they, they decided they wanted to make a make an example of me. But luckily, got back there, um, got watched the race and picked the winner. Can't, can't beat it. Oh. One, one for Arthur. I, I, yeah. well, he went off at 14 to 1. I think I got it at 20. So, yeah. Oh, right. One up with you. Let me just go back to towards the start of the book. The book is called A Fan for All Seasons. Um, and uh, I don't know whether that's a play on A Man for All Seasons, which was a play written by Robert Bolt. Mm. And the book features uh, no relation to Robert, but the name's like Usain Bolt. And it's sort of. It, it's sort of um, um, bookends the, the book you start with your brother daniel commentating down a phone to you in a restaurant in a different part of the world on, on um usain running Be- that's a good story he was running beijing wasn't he yeah that's right so i, I again we're huge fans of the olympics and the idea of not watching the 100 meters final was just alien to us and but I, that that Beijing Games. This is two thousand eight, wasn't it? I'd made a complete cock up and, and agreed to go on holiday with my then girlfriend to to Germany, um, into Berlin during that um, Olympics. And worst of all, we'd agreed to go for lunch with a friend during the hundred meters race because I got the time zones wrong. So I was like, I've got got it's all wrong. But just before the race, and this is pre smartphone, so you couldn't just you know sneak a little look you know on your lap during the during the meal and just watch it that way no it's two years before the iphone or something like that so what do i do and i was like oh i'm re- i'm resigned to just not knowing and then dan called out of the blue and just said are you watching bruv and i said well no i'm in berlin he said he said don't worry i've got i've got you so uh, i said to my guy i'll just back in a minute just stepped outside the restaurant and yeah dan gave me this let's just say um it, not exactly a pss-esque commentary <laughs> Um, in the, uh, the the words were few and far between because he he started doing it and um, as the race went he, he just stopped because his tongue got tied because he couldn't believe what Bolt had done you know he said he said oh Bolt's oh Bolt's had a slow start bro he's he's uh, oh he's he's uh, actually he's, he's catching up and suddenly he just went oh my god oh my god no. Oh my! God. And I'll go. What's happened? Like, has a has a streak had gone on to the track? Is it? You know, is, has there been a bomb threat? What's happened here? And and he, the reason he'd gone quiet is because that was the race. If you remember, where Bolt slowed down. 
Yes. He was so far ahead yes. that he coasted and still got a world record. Yeah. And no one had ever seen anything like it. And I mean, it's like Muhammad Ali at his greatest, that, that sense of showboating on the greatest stage. Who does that? And mm. yeah, Dan, Dan was the one who he made it more real for me than maybe watching Steve Cram or David Coleman could have been. Because uh, <laughs> he, he, in his own weird way, he summed up how speechless it left you. It's, it's one, of, one of those great, it's one of those, uh, you know, Ali, um, you know, oh my God, he's won the world title back moments. Harry Carpenter commentating and, um, or, you know, or, or when Seve won and, and did the little jig on the, on the green, you remember these things, don't you? It's like sport remains eternal for you. And also that right at the end of the book, um, you were there when the burst from Usain didn't happen at the World Championships. The sad World Championships was again. The book is permeated with sadness, and that was that's I, I, that that moment really touched me. Where he, you know he he leaves the stadium, his last ever run. He leaves it in a wheelchair. Yeah, I mean, it was there was so many weird mirrors for me because the the, the twenty twelve Olympics was such a happy time for me and Dan. Yeah, we managed to get lots of cheap tickets to that, so we were there basically every day. And uh, that stadium meant so much to us that we actually illicitly scattered his ashes outside the stadium there's this little garden outside um although I, i'm not you're not supposed to do that so i'll, I'll just uh, for the record say we definitely didn't do that <laughs> but you know the, the, to be back at the stadium was really special and for bolt to be you know returning uh five years later for his final race just seemed so poetic and you know I, I, like everyone i thought we were going to see his final gold and as jp just mentioned what well, he didn't go that i did it you know he, he ended his last race basically being carted out in a wheelchair because his, 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 his hamstring went, you know, in the, in, in the relay. And um, that's not, but luckily no one remembers that. And uh, mm. he's, he's immortalized for what he did, not for how he ended. But mm. um, for me, for the story, there was something really poignant about that ending because that in a weird way was the sort of lesson of what's happened with my brother is that things don't go the way you expect and, and they can go, they can go wrong. Like, it can go as wrong as they can go um and so it was strangely more fitting a bit like palace not winning the fa cup final after dan had gone you know it was more fitting that that, that i was having to come to terms with how different life could be through watching bolt not win than if he just you know sauntered through to a third gold so it's it's strange how it sort of went that way but um yeah it's like zidane as well wasn't it with that but yeah (laughs) that's the way you're going to finish your career Things don't things don't go well. And Terry and I have noticed this in in the book, John. You know, you talk about Greyhound racing at Wimbledon and going to Wembley, Prawn Cocktail Brigade, Lithuania Gareth's first game in charge at home. That was, uh, and that was a sad night as well. Graham Taylor was remembered that in oh, on that Graham, night. It was a weird, weird old night that. Um, and and the boat race. You talk about that. Hang on a minute. At the back of the book, you sort of you you make a you know you I don't know what you call it a list of all these things you went to. And, and there's, there's a lot of Spurs games you went to during this year that you actually don't talk about in in the book. Is that because as a Spurs fan you can't you can't bear to talk about them? Is it because you're a Spurs <laughs> fan? Because a lot of them were actually Spurs victories, apart from the FA Cup semi final when they got gubbed by Chelsea. But is it oh. because oh my oh my god I'm a Spurs fan I can't court fate by talking about them? <laughs> I've got I've I've gone past that now, JP. I've, I've now realised I I am. Comp- I'm convinced, and I'd like you as an expert to look into this for me. I think Spurs are cursed in, in the same way that, was it the Chicago Cubs or the Red Sox? One of the big baseball teams had this 100-year curse. They couldn't win the uh, the World Series. It, this, there's something going on that 
the last i mean if you i don't know, do you even count the league cup in a way i don't know if we do but if, even oh, if good. we do right we count the league cup so it's now fit and, and we're out this season's one so that's going to be another 16 years i mean i can't see this winning the fa cup so what's going on I, I cannot think of a team or a squad in top level football certainly men's or women's maybe even sport who has had such a roll call of talent and failed to win anything and uh, uh, to give you an example 2018 world cup i think it was the 2018 world cup in the semi-finals there was only one team in europe certainly in europe probably in the world you could build an 11 um of past and current players in the in the, the teams that are in the world cup semi-finals and it was spurs it's obviously a bunch of croatians bunch of french bunch of english probably a couple of brazilians you know it was that's how good the, the the level of talent and and that's despite them not spending the same amount as some of the other teams and so for spurs to fail is i think it's it's more impressive that spurs haven't won something than they have <laughs> so that's does that deserve a trophy i think it probably does right um, they they're, they're not in europe they're only in two cup competitions they're going to win two cup competitions because mm. they you know, he plays a weakened team they go out of one of them they've only got the fa cup they're not going to win the league no. they've only got the fa cup to win. that's crazy that he, that he I'm, I'm a big fan I've met him two, you know, a couple of times now and he's a very very nice man very approachable very charismatic as well why don't look you in the eyes though no well he looks down doesn't he at the moment yeah, in he looks down the I think, yeah that, that might change but that just drives me mental did it drive you mental to see that team last night at Fulham I was really surprised that yeah I mean I do get I, I think we've just got so uh immune to the idea of I think Wenger was one of those who pioneered it that the League Cup is just your chance to rotate the squad and so I wasn't as surprised as maybe I should have been I was surprised it's half time that I was just like because he wasn't on TV so I was listening to it and I'm sort of looking at it online and apparently La Celso who can't get a game in the first team you know apparently a decent first half and he got hooked and I was like well I sort of feel sorry for him if he can't get a full game in in, in this and I don't know. Maybe he, he he said this morning that he said, "Well, you know, I've, we haven't got any Europe European games, so how on earth do I get a chance to look at the squad? We've got this bloated squad. It's probably putting people in the shop window, to be honest. Because if Hoiberg's off to United, it might have put a few million on him if he'd scored a goal or something. I, I I don't know. I've got no idea. But I'm a big Ange fan, and I, I love this this version of Angels that's come. Have you seen this? Uh, Robbie, Robbie have, Williams. Yeah, Robbie Williams hmm. has done it, this version of a Spurs thing. Uh, I, I think the feel good factor's back. I mean. But the, the reason I didn't put them in the book, I, 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 I did one Spurs game, which was that, that last game at White Hart Lane against United. Um, because, yeah, the editors were like, you know, <laughs> it's a book about all sports. You can't go too big. I'll, I'll happen, if someone wants me to write a full book on Spurs, I'll do it. But um, I thought I'll, I'll just pile it all into that, that last game, which was incredibly emotional. Were you there for that one, Jonathan? Um. I can't remember. I was at West Ham's last game at, at the bowling, but I can't mm. remember whether I was at the. I don't think I was. No, I wasn't. But it's a, was, but you. Well, the, the, the West Ham one's probably similar. My God, what an atmosphere! Because mm. the fans, they they just it, the game was almost incidental. It was like this sort of greatest hits medley of all the chants for fifty years. You know, so it was wonderful. You know, you know, I've been going. The dad took me to my first game there in '94. And uh, so I was, lo- I was looking up at that stand that was about to get knocked down, and uh, you know it was very emotional. Of course, Spurs unusually the the new ground is in the same site as the old one, which is weird. So it sort of it sort of is and isn't the same place. Whereas of course West Ham have moved, but yeah, I was getting to hear chants for people like Steve Archibald and uh, people like that. It was brilliant. You really feel like you're part of a moving history. And again, that's another thing which where being a fan makes you plug into something. When I hear the Palace chants, you know the chants that Dan would have been singing, it feels like something. It, there's a collective organism 
about being a football fan. You know, there's something wonderful about being at the ground. So, yeah, I mean, the the, the main reason for not putting more Spurs in was probably just to avoid boring uh, fans. I mean, there's a couple of other things that uh, don't make it in. Um, I went to watch motor racing, but I couldn't get into the British Grand Prix because it, it sells out, you know, years in advance, whatever. And and it's incredibly expensive. Whereas a mate of mine who's a big petrol head said, oh, you don't do that. Just go to France. He said they do they do motor racing in this place called Po, which is just like Monaco, but um, it's, it's sort of in, it's inland, but a very similar street circuit, windy street circuit. He said, yeah, they do like historic motor racing there. He said, you can watch it for like nine euros. So we went down there for a weekend and had a brilliant oh, time. Brilliant. And I really brilliant. recommend that. But just for, for, for space, that one didn't make it into the book. But um, yeah, the, Dan was such a completist that I had to put at the end every single uh, fixture that I went <laughs> to in his memory. So that, that's why they're all there. What's so where, where go, sorry, sorry, John, sorry go, go, no, on. go on. Where can where can we uh, where can we where can we get the book? Can you get it on Kindle and all, all the usuals? Yeah, all the usuals. So uh, you know, I, I, if, the obvious place is Amazon, and it's, I did an audio book yeah. as well, which was um, which is oh, great uh, to do. But you know, did you record great. it? You've done, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I did it. Yeah. Too. It, was, it was just during that it's typical my luck. It was just during that hot spell. You know, you wouldn't remember it now. This summer's been a bit of a washout, but. Do you remember in like June when the ashes the first hottest started? June, the hottest oh, June. It was melting, wasn't it? And I was in this voiceover studio doing the audio book, which is weird because I'd written the book to be read originally and, and obviously. And um it's one thing putting emotional thoughts on paper, but having to read them out was a yeah, a whole new challenge. So oh, that did was, you have uh, them at moments where you had to stop? Did you have to go, hold on a second? Hold on. Yeah. Yeah, there oh, are wow. there are a couple. Yeah. Oh, John. The, the, it, it's, there's a lovely bit in the book, very, very early on in the book, it's when, you, when you're talking about the cricket and the ashes and everything, and you're, you're big fans of TMS, Testament Special, if people don't know, mm. which is like, uh, if you don't know, then then you, ah, you should listen to it. T-shirt. You can't it, see it. You know, it's... <laughs> it's it's unbelievable test match, but it's, it's 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 never aged. It's brilliant. While this is what John writes, while television is unbeatable for presenting the physical reality of cricket, TMS is the more accurate transmitter of its emotional reality. You can write that about any sport, and for me, that's that one of the most resonant lines in the book. That is because working on both media, um, I love radio because you are talking to one person. When you when you when you when you're broadcasting right. the radio, you have a relationship with one listener, yeah, that's and right. uh, that's how I, well, that's how I've always broadcast. Yeah, that's how and, I was always taught. Yeah, yeah. So, and and you can get the emotion of the thing. You paint the picture, and you get the emotion of the thing through television. Uh, is is a is a beer moth. It's huge. You're talking to millions, and it's not the same way. But and of course, the pictures tell the story more more than the words. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know, John. If that's a thing that's carried you through with your relationship with Dan, that, that beauty of sport through both media, I guess. But for me, radio is always special. Yeah, it totally is. And I, I, I would just want to bring you back to Capital Gold Sport because I don't know if, how many listeners were, were Londoners back then, and um, when because uh, Jonathan, you were the, yeah, the voice of London, really. And mm. and you say the. You know, as a broadcaster, you have a one-on-one relationship with Lister, and I can tell you, it's totally reciprocated. Because for me and Dan, like we felt like you were ours. <laughs> like I'm going to get, <laughs> I'm gonna get yeah, emotional yeah. about this because honestly, like it was our treat. Capital got that's I still play when I need to pick me up. I still play the Capital Gold theme tune. The the it's called Lap of Honor. I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Um, and this your that sports theme tune it always gets me and. For us, when you went to first, you, when you went to the Five Live and 
and then hearing you on the TV, we we felt a bit like, oh, but he's ours. Like, no, don't don't leave us. Yeah. You know, like it's like, oh, he's off in the big leagues now. And because there's something so intimate about radio and hearing your voice, honestly, JP, you 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 basically took us through so many ups and downs of sport and you fans really do form a relationship with with Mm. broadcasters it's so important and i'll tell you another thing i've got to compliment you on is uh, it's only in recent years i don't know whether you mention it more now or whatever but knowing you're a bristol city fan right but as a londoner listening to you you couldn't pick what what team you supported because you were so enthusiastic about from orion to spurs to you know obviously palace like i I thought he's got to be a palace fan He's so, he's so up, up on the Eagles. He loves. It. There was one. I'll never forget one match where we Palace had scored. I almost said we. Oh God, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, what he's done to, see what he's done to me. Um, Palace scored, and you said something about they're going to be cheering in the Crowham Arms down in the Harrow. And I was like, how does he know these pubs? I look away. He must. I used be. to drink in them because I lived in Croydon, and, and I was oh, yeah. a season ticket. My father-in-law, um, they've been. He's been Palace since the 1950s. Um, one of my kids is uh, Palace, the other one's Brighton, but um, um, which is interesting. And um, um, yeah, so we I used to drink in the stack um, in South Croydon and um, now sadly gone. And we used to go to the Chrome and, and the, the, John, really, the main reasons I mentioned these pubs um, was <laughs> so that I got free drink free in those beans. pubs. Yeah, of course it was. So there was no, you know, there was no, there was no, there was no beautiful reason behind this whatsoever. It was purely so financial. Yeah, it was just to get, to, you know, other pubs are available, but I got most free pints in those pubs. So um, there you are. And uh, no, it was great fun. We, I'll tell you what, I've said it so many times on the podcast. That for I was there for fifteen years and uh, had a brilliant and Terry worked there as well. We had a brilliant but very very punishing uh, boss called Richard Park, and uh, he just he was very very demanding. We played hard, we worked hard, we played hard, and we laughed. We laughed for fifteen years. Mm. It was so it was such great time. Wild West. It was like Wild West times. But the relationships we had with the football clubs were special. I was talking last night, with Alan Smith. Uh, who, did, who was my co-com at the Braga game. And I, I said, we well, used to go to training grounds. You used to just go up to training grounds, sit in the canteens and, and you know, and, and have lunch with the players and say, oh, do you mind doing a couple of minutes for the radio? And um, George Graham was so welcoming, Johnny Lyle at West Ham and, and, and the managers, they're fantastic. And then it got bigger and bigger and we came, became a national thing. Um, and we had commentary rights for 70-odd other clubs in the country. And then money took over. Mm. And then the clubs, and the, you know, they wanted more money, and then Talksport came in, and everything got driven far too high, and, it, and it's it caused the death of Capital Gold. And I must write about it one day because it's very I, sad. I, I remember mm. that going up and up and up. The Arsenal games when I was there, they were, went up. They, there was something like five hundred grand a season, and then before the end of the next season, it was two million pounds they wanted. It just went up and up and up just for when Arsenal start, alone. When we started, Terry, six clubs in London. Uh, consortium, you know, the, the, whether there were six or ten, whatever, it didn't matter. Thirty grand a year they had to share, and they were happy to do it uh, because we used to publicise things they did, and you know it was a symbiotic relationship. It was great fun, and and uh, I, I think that came through. I think that came through, and, and we had a real relationship with the fans. The phone-ins used to be hilarious, and um, you know it was just it was when you Terry, you worked there. It was it was, it was, it was fantastic. It was great fun. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, on that note, John, we uh, we have come to the end of today's podcast. Is there anything you'd like to say to push this book to our listeners? <laughs> well, um, thanks for listening to uh, me talking about it for starters. I mean, yeah, oh, it's no, uh, it's 
I'm I've really and I'm so grateful to you guys for for reading it and and talking to me about it. It's and, fabulous. And I'm just keen to spread the word because you you know what's going to happen in the next couple of months. All the celebrities are going to get their biographies out and uh, mm. trying to get a word out and um, and push a, a little book about um, a sports fan is 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 tricky. So yeah, um, any, any spreading the word you can do and uh, buying the book and if you do, leave a nice review. Well, and, you uh, you know you got us, it. so we got you on. So <laughs> you know we we enjoyed it. So what do we know? But we think it's great, and you should get out there and and, and get this book. And also you can listen to it as well. That's going to be on Audible, I imagine. Yeah, it's on Audible. But more than anything, I'd say you know the, we're talking in August. You know the, the the season's just getting started, and I don't know about you, but me, it's it's just the most optimistic time of year. And uh, the the best thing I could say to everyone is have a good season. Here we support. Have a good one. Yeah, yeah. John, All right, you're well, a Spurs fan. You can't be optimistic. You're a you Spurs fan. You got to be Spursy. Look what Here's Andrew's the, done to me. He's he's, he's transformed me. Here's <laughs> to Dan, second. John. Here's to Dan, John. Here's to Dan. Uh, yeah, here's, here's to Dan. Dan but one other thing on that before you start crying about your Tottenham, right? Uh, Tomorrow, as far as this podcast goes out, uh, my team might not even exist. So there you go. Scandalous, Terry. We need to do something about this. Let's go down and do some evenings there and get people in and raise some money. And uh, maybe John will come down with his bin on his head. We've got to save (laughs) South End. That's the main thing. And get a new owner in. In fact, I'll tell you what. Let's have a chat with Kevin Maris. See if we can get him on next week, the manager of South End. And we'll find out what's going on. John, thank you very, very much. Cheers, guys. It's been a pleasure. You're a superstar. Thanks, John. Podcast Network.